Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, so excited for today's episode of Driving with Dave. I've got special guest, friend of mine for a very long time, very funny stand-up comedian, Todd Dorham. Hello, everybody, and please forgive me adjusting my eyebrows after the introduction, but <laughs> I'm 42 years old. These things get a little unruly. You don't look so, a day over 36, uh, buddy. I need to. I got to tell you what. Need All it. right. So, what brings you? Yeah, we, you, you, you have the coveted uh, luxury of being one of the last friends I saw in Los Angeles. Yeah. Because you helped me move. Thank you, a million. Look, you, you offered pizza, and generously, you also paid me. Yeah, that's the problem is most people just go with the pizza. <laughs> yeah, that is. But the- it's like once you get 30, you're hurting your body. Yeah to do this work so there's no free there's yeah. no just like working for pizza also i'm not a, above a hundred dollars <laughs> who is you know so i can go a long way long way um and uh, what brings you to nashville do i have a day job yeah i still have a day job okay i'm a comic but you boys gotta make pay some bills so the headquarters is out here i, I like to do a fly out let the the sales execs know that I, I mean business uh and try to you know secure some deals to go back to la do our thing what's the biggest goal to get stand up to the point where you don't need the day job oh yeah yeah is that, that, like what is that what, like what's the big vision goal let's get right into it so it used to be before covid i was only producing and performing now i was not making enough to really like pay all the bills but it I had so much activity that having a day job was like time inefficient. So the goal by the end of summer is to have my productions and my performances pay all my bills and then some to where I, I, I can't do a day job because it's actually costing me money at that point. That's the beauty when you can, when you can no longer juggle because yeah. the thing you want to do finally feeds the thing you, you know, who you are and i kind of feel like that's that's the that's the inevitable struggle that i think people that might be you know i don't know trust fund babies might not understand yeah the idea of like i need to pay my bills yeah so i can do the thing i love to do and then when the thing i love i do takes off you'll have the immense gratitude because of the hustle that got you there yeah now i'm not above somebody let's just say hypothetically adopting a 42 year old <laughs> And giving me part of their trust fund or all of it. Yeah, like a sugar if, mama if, kind of thing. Yeah. If somebody it's like was, a sugar mama shark tank. <laughs> new idea. Dear shark, for 50% <laughs> yeah. of my future stand-up sales. Yeah. I will hey. make you breakfast burritos in the morning. Really good at those. And then make, and then like laugh, make your friends laugh when they are over for cocktails later at night. You know, that's you, the best I got. YouTube tries to do this. There are so many companies that f- want to front you money in the off chance your, your YouTube takes off, Ooh, nice. which, which sounds good, but like yeah. they're literally buying equity and then, and then they own you. And it's like, I don't know, it's, it's predatory as hell, yeah. but it's the idea of like, how do you, how do you fund creativity? And, uh-huh. and I think it comes down to. Any amount of funding create like if, if like if someone gave you a million bucks to go write a book, you'll write the book. Yeah. But if you know the million bucks is waiting once you finish the book, you're definitely that's why you like you don't pay the contractor too soon. Like uh, yeah. paint the house first. <laughs> exactly. But that's creativity, right? It's like you don't get paid for your hour until you're really good at it. Yeah. And that might be ten or fifteen years of not being able to command, you know, intern to CEO, no middleman there. Yeah. Well, for me, I have, I have a, it's not a fast track, but I have a, a proven way that I know that I can get like a high margin for my comedy. So I think there's a couple ways to look at how are you going to monetize uh, being funny? Well, for me, I do these private shows where somebody is going to have spend a lot of money in their 40th, 50th birthday party, you know, 50th wedding anniversary, something like that. I do these roasts that are expensive, but they're the most memorable thing you can get. So I'm going to peel off one or two of those a month. And that alone is going to put me in a spot to where my day job will, I just can't do it anymore because it's just, it's costing me money. Love it. I I love innovation with creativity. I mean, I'm I'm Elon Musk for comedy with a little bit of Steve Jobs and Tesla also. Yeah, you're the cyber roast. Cyber roast, baby. There it is. (laughs) Who's doing that? 
No, I mean, <laughs> but this, by the way, you, I never, I didn't do a going away party because I didn't want to like, I just didn't want to deal with the feelings yeah. of going somewhere, you know? But Dave does do feelings well in his defense. I was crying thinking about the conversation I want to have with you. I, <laughs> I'm not kidding. With the right people, I open up to the point where they probably get really uncomfortable with me. Yeah. But so I do this show in Huntington Beach and you're on it and a couple other pals are which on i'm it. grateful for that was a really fun show and it just it ended right it ended up being a great show and it, that was kind of like my going away moment without me telling people hey this is like my i'm leaving yeah and it wasn't like i was trying to sucker a bunch of people into buying tickets like you'll you'll never see me again yeah but having friends like you there was really special yeah it was really special for me so to backtrack for people listening dave and i met through and shouts out to Sean Leary for putting this together. Sean Leary had this w- w- comedians and cars getting coffee came out with J- Jerry Seinfeld, and Sean Leary made this f- a Facebook group for LA comics called Comedians on the Beach Playing Volleyball. Yes, and I had just started stand up. It was probably eight or nine years ago, and I was like, you know, I need to get integrated into this community. Where, what, what camera should I look at? Or you, you look, look at forward? wherever you want. No, no, the camera will find you. <laughs> Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. My Friday night will be me choosing the best Todd Dorham <laughs> shot. So you want to do a quick look over there? I'm going to <laughs> make it hard for me. So comedians on the beach playing volleyball was created as a group for just people to play volleyball on Saturdays. And I was like, you know, I don't really know anyone in this community. I want to be a good stand up. So this is my first integration. This is natural. I'm from Redondo Beach. We do beach volleyball. So off we go. So I go there. I think the first day I went, I met Dave Neal and Andy Lazarus. Two of my closest friends to this day in stand-up. Isn't that wild? And this is all just because we were just slapping it around on the beach one day. And now, then then fast forward like another year and a half or so, and I produced a show that was highly illegal in a garage in Redondo Beach. Which, by the way, one of the comedians hit on Tasha. That night? Yeah. <laughs> the guy who raps. He tried to get her phone number. Oh, he didn't know she was with me. Amazing. She's like, you know what? Leave it up to me to hire a rapping comedian to hit on your girlfriend. A white, white, show. white rapping. Amazing. Comedian. I was like, hey, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, no, yeah, very illegal. Uh, very, oh, extremely. If if not not if a fire breaks out, but like if a match book uh, sets on fire, the whole place goes up in flames. That's how small. And how little you know what I learned about that room? No microphone. And I love shows with no microphone. It, it takes away the, the little leash that we have that that holds us back. Yeah. So it, it was just a great show. David Dave did it. And you know, I've since progressed. I had a show at the Laugh Factory of my own at, at in Hollywood. Dave's moved a family. <laughs> <laughs> from money he's made in, in entertainment and I'm just like to me like it was wildly cathartic that like I was on your show and you had fans like it wasn't that you had a show at a club which is cool but like your fans were there and that they wanted to meet you after because what you put out they resonate with and it's just like that's the whole point of what we do and you're doing it like you know there is no version of living the dream if you're not it right now I tell you what the the first time that happened to me Dave <laughs> the first time that happened to me was in New York and I had, I had a couple of really close friends come to a show uh-huh. and then afterwards a few a few audience members and again this was just after YouTube started to take off some some audience members came up to me and brought gifts and they traveled from like two hours away amazing to the show and my my the real joy I, I truly mean this was my buddies seeing that for me because they, oh they you know but you're your buddies have always been around. Like they know where they know the grind and, and all of that. So for them to see that, I guarantee they were like lose. They were losing their shit over it, and I was too. But I was like, this is so cool. I was freaking out. <laughs> so there's a guy. Maybe your fans know. Maybe they don't. But there's a gentleman named Trevor Wallace who is really like exploding. He's selling out worldwide. Uh, he'll announce a tour. It'll be sold out in like days. Um, and yeah, he, he's uh, he's opening up for the biggest the biggest acts in comedy period and arenas and and um but trevor is just a workhorse he puts out incredible sketches he's a really funny dude awesome guy as a person in general and like uh, same time frame like about seven years ago we were doing a backyard show in brentwood and at like a, it's like a frat house backyard or something like that and 
his YouTube and posts on social media were so funny. He was like gathering speed that someone dr- drove two hours away and then they waited after from San Diego and they waited after to, to meet him. And they were like, they knew that they were like meeting a star mm. in entertainment. And I, I got to take the photo for, for this brother and sister who saw their favorite comedian. And I was like, man, they get it. They know that this guy's about to be a star. And right now he's internationally and his Amazon series or a special that just came out was number one for like weeks. And he was able to do all of that because he had the equity, the fan base. That's what's cool about stand up is you get to see the fans start to show up yeah. and you can go, all right, well now I'm, I'm selling 20 tickets and that's awesome. You know, I probably only sold 50 tickets at that show that you were with me at, but like <laughs> when that turns into a theater, you go, Whoa. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, when you're a smaller producer like me and you're literally like bludgeoning your friends that you grew up with from high school to come to your little room that you're producing, like, you know, everybody in the crowd. So when you have strangers show up, you're like, wow, a stranger's there. Oh, that's, that's what this is like. It's you know? crazy. And, and, um, and you get, you start to guard those people. Like they're your own children Yeah, because you go and like, I won't promote shows if I don't know it's going to be a decent room because I don't want people coming from three hours away to a show. That's not going to live up to yeah. you know, their expectation. And if you have not seen Dave do stand up, let me be extra crystal clear. This dude's a pro. This dude's funny. This dude on stage is in his living room with some pajamas and Crocs, bro. This guy's comfy, oh cozy on stage. And just absolutely up there cooking. That means a lot to me because it's funny, man. You guys, I don't get um, I don't mean this in any sort of jaded way. I don't get stand up accolades, and I'm very blue collar with this it. This dude's got that smoke. Oh, thanks. No, but you know how it is. Like, I don't get. You know, there's always like best of the fit. I've never. I've you know, that's just not me. That's just not. I've never been that guy. And sometimes you're just figuring stuff out. Yeah. But um, but thank you. And you too. I mean, I I hadn't seen you perform in a while, so that's what's great about. Um, I think comedy friends when you don't see someone perform in a while and then you get to see their new bit as a fan yeah. I got to see some of your new material which actually might lead us into this conversation I wanted to talk to you about what, what about what life is like growing up mixed race yeah white leaning if yeah, that, yeah, if, yeah. and I mean no disrespect by saying that well but, yeah there's it's not even like white leaning it's just white obvious <laughs> but i say that because you have a very funny joke don't do it but you have a very yeah. funny joke about about your hair yeah and and but so so i wouldn't have known if it wasn't for your stand-up yeah that you that you come from a mixed race family. totally so you know i i'll just do it because whatever go for it all right so the, uh, <laughs> so i um my dad's my dad's half black and my mom's all white and I know what I look like. Okay. Um, so the melanin just got diluted over the years. All right. My dad has a skin tone of LeBron James. Sorry. <laughs> my grandfather has a skin tone of LeBron James. My dad has a skin tone of James Earl Jones. And I came out exactly like James Vanderbeek. Okay. <laughs> melanin just got diluted over the years. All right. Um, and when everything was happening over 2020 with Black Lives Matter, uh, it really affected me because my cousins, people I go to church with, my family members are every skin shade of black under the sun. And it was affecting me knowing that just their skin color alone could put them at risk of being killed by the police, being being killed just because a, a neighbor uh, suspects them uh, inappropriately by wearing a hoodie, right? So I wanted to grow my hair out as an expression of who I am as a person because my dad taught me to be proud of myself. And maybe, just maybe, to get a little bit of street cred in the black community, and let me tell you, it is backfiring so badly (laughs) because there are no black people who respect me, okay? (laughs) Um, uh, It's just a bunch of Jewish dudes who are like, is this guy with the tribe? Like, what's going on with the hair? Uh, only, Only black person to, like, recognize me was this lady at the TSA and she walks up to me and she's like, you know who you look like? You look like Kenny G. And she saw me wash in disappointment and she's trying to console me. She's like, oh, it's okay, Kenny G's hot. And I'm like, ma'am, no one's ever said that. So that's a joke, obviously a little, a little bit different in person, but no, basically but the good, reality- But of, good tension by, by by making it starting, you know, heavy. Yeah, you oh, for sure. attention. Yeah, and then like, but you know, by the time I hit the like, 
nothing but Jewish dudes, people like it dawns on them. Like, why does this guy have long curly hair? And like, this is just my hair. Like this morning I shampooed it and conditioned it. And that's, and that's it. No product. No product. There you go. Now, the other thing is this. It's beautiful. Well, thank the you. The curls, I mean, really. There's a tag that I've Everyone not... who's listening on the audio is rushing to the YouTube <laughs> to see. By the way, shout out your Tell Instagram just so people can reference. It's Todd Marcel Dorham. And it used to be Todd Comedy, or sorry, TD Comedy. And I, I threw the Marcel in there because my middle name is probably the blackest thing about me. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to get that some affirmative action Instagram? Yeah. Or... I try to get that little like branding in there. Because, like, Todd is as white as it gets. Pretty white. And Marcel is as black as it gets. There's no white person named Marcel. Marcel. There just is not. Yeah, you can't say Marcel without, like, <laughs> Marcel. Also, you can't say Marcel without feeling cool. And, like, yeah. Todd is the... There's memes about guys named Todd. Yeah, four-letter white guy. C- correct. That's it. All these four-letter white guys out here. Yeah, and any assumption about anybody named Marcel is that guy's got game. And I just... I need the two to balance each other out. I like so, it. So I throw Todd Marcel Dorham. That's my middle name. Um, and anytime I, I toss the middle name out there to a black person, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That plus hair. Okay, copy that. So No, it does make sense when you when you do like the bit. I think audiences probably go, oh. But when you throw the Jewish, I mean, it's, it's I mean, whenever you explain a joke, you kill it, right? But totally, like, yeah. It's, it's it, as an audience member, I'm watching that joke going, oh, fucking great. Because <laughs> you, that's your, you, t- you get to tell a joke and explain your background yeah. and your perspective yeah. coming from this, you know, you know, being the, a diluted melanin, as you say. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And thank you, man. I appreciate that. It means a lot from you. And then also, I have yet to tell this on stage. I was supposed to do it last weekend, but um, the other thing about my hair is that it's like very accurate to the percentage of black that I am, <laughs> right? Because if you've ever seen a black dude with a beautiful afro, they're like the dopest, most perfectly microphone sculpted afros of all time. Like very few black dudes don't have that do grow an afro or they're not like awesome or like a black woman that's got a good afro they just look really phenomenal and i don't think there's a person who doesn't look at it and go that looks awesome whereas like mine is like 75 percent terrible <laughs> like this is my afro yeah, you're on like the paint palette of yeah you're, you're on the spectrum <laughs> yeah. you're on the spectrum and my my melanin got diluted and then the quality of my afro also got diluted by the exact percentage of black that i am by the way i say that i'm mixed because if i say that i'm black that's not a reality the reality is if you have black skin if you have more melanin in your skin in this country you get treated differently but you at least have the a greater empathy because close family doesn't necessarily look like like do you have cousins that oh my some of my cousins are you know as as melanated as you can get and like i and some of the best people that you could imagine they're exactly the what martin luther king asked for which is don't judge people by the color of their skin but by the content of their character some of those highest character people that you could imagine and i literally i'm like you know just based on if they wear a hoodie or not they could be mistaken for somebody you know, if somebody was being prejudiced, you know, for somebody nefarious, and then they're going to get caught in a circumstance where, you know, that could risk their life. You know, so it's horrifying. It's horrifying. And the easiest way to build empathy is to somehow like relate that circumstance. Like say there's a 10 year old who gets shot because they have a hoodie on to try to relate that to someone. Like I have to think of my, my younger brother as a 10 year old and you just see that you see the child. Now I say that because if you don't do the work to see the humanity in others, there is a scientific term called other other face syndrome or other person syndrome. And it came out recently in my community because there were there was two Asian women that were mistagged in an Instagram photo from The Bachelor. Oh wow. And um, other when when people don't look like your g- generic background, it's harder to to see specific differences. I I can tell what a, a traditional Vietnamese person would look like versus um, a Japanese or an, or, or a Cantonese yeah. a person because I've 
I travel a little bit through, you know, or, you know, it just, you, but maybe not growing up, you might, you might just not be, you know, that person looks different than me. And so like, you might, it might be very obvious to tell someone who might have roots from Western Africa versus Eastern or Central or these things, but not everybody. So I always, I know personally that black women say I look like Tom Cruise. White people go, what are you talking about? (laughs) But I can tell you anecdotally, I only get that compliment from black women. Love it. And I probably don't get it from black men because why would they tell me that? So it's just black women. But, and, and, and sure enough, I started, I I was, I was, I don't want to call brave enough, but honest enough to have this conversation. And I had people in the comment section go, I'm a black woman. Um, this is so true. I watched um, uh, Ocean's Eleven and I couldn't tell any of the white men apart. So <laughs> Leonardo funny. DiCaprio and Bradley Cooper look exactly the same to me. That's so, hilarious. So that does exist. It's in, But being conscious of knowing that, that that does exist might help people look a little closer into everyone's differences. Not necessarily for any reason other than to know that we all are different yeah. and we all have... 99.9% of the same exact DNA yeah. and and, the, and these slight differences are exaggerated like eye shapes and skin color and yeah. hair yeah. Uh, but they are what differentiates us from each other yeah and to, to your point taking the time to understand that there's value in difference and that to appreciate somebody's differences is exactly the way God intended to do it because if if, he, if God made every person who was in the continent of Asia the same, then there wouldn't be differences among them, which should be celebrated. So, you know, just like if somebody is African-American in the sense that their genealogy traces back to Africa versus someone who's from Africa, those are differences to say what elements of culture does the person african-american versus the someone who who like lives and is from africa what cultural differences exist and how could those be celebrated like as an example yesterday or two days ago i i took a a uber and my driver spoke only spanish i spoke just enough spanish to conversate with him and i asked him where he's from and he said venezuela and I know enough to know that Venezuelan food and Mexican food are not the same. Right. Even though I'm talking Spanish to this guy, I'm not going to ask him, do you like the Mexican food? I, I'm going to say, is there any Venezuelan food out here that you like? Because if you ask a Venezuelan guy, is he from Mexico? Because he speaks Spanish, that is deeply offensive. No different than if you ask a Korean person, are they Japanese? Mm. And you don't know the fact that the Japanese and Koreans have a long history of not liking each other. Yeah. The, the Chinese and the Japanese have a long history of not liking that traces back to war. It'd be no different than saying, like, if if a German and an English person, like, if you, oh, two people with white skin, and you just look at them and say, oh, are you from Germany? And the person's from England. And that person's grandfather was fighting against the Nazis. Like, you need to understand that these are differences God created differences, and if you appreciate differences, then you can have a deeper connection with the person you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, it's no better um, exposed than during crowd work within stand-up because I find that audiences really value if you know a little bit about their culture. Yeah. So if, if, if you're true. able to spot someone's accent and talk about where it's from and know a little bit about them, that's not like tokenism or no. that's not like... Um, it's, it's not a bad thing. And, and I think society, this it's not political, although I think people can use it to their advantage in, in harmful ways. But I think in society, it's important that we embrace, like if you go to an Indian wedding, everyone dresses up in the Indian, you know, traditional garments, whether you're, whether you practice that religion or not, it's just a sign of respect. And, and again, it, it all stems back from, from people I think using other people's culture to make fun of it. Obviously, that's where blackface comes from, right? Minstrel yeah. shows and things like that. So you you have to be able to live in the in this world we live in and know when it's bad in mockery versus yeah. Yeah. when you wear a kimono because that's what everyone does whenever you do X, Y, and Z or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And that's um and that that's what makes the world interesting. And yet at the same time, I think a lot of people 
don't overthink these things, but with comedy, yeah, you want to know, you want to know a lot about a lot of cultures. You want to know a lot about pop culture and cultural issues. Yeah. You want to be able to spot someone who's maybe Colombian versus like you said, a Venezuelan, you know, it's those, those are, those are assets to have, not just on stage, but just culturally when you want to talk to an Uber driver or, you know, we were in Qatar and I didn't know anything about the Middle East, yeah. but now I, now I know a little bit about uh, you know, just the, the, the beginning of, of, of a different part of the world and culturally what it's like over there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you some questions about your faith. Let's do I, it. I've been accused of being anti-religion, but I think it's from people that are afraid of what I say. I think I'm anti-high control religion. Yeah. So I talk a lot about purity culture uh-huh. and the harmful effects of some of the sort of things that go on with that, which I personally think when i think of you as a west coast guy yeah i think you are one of the highest energy um loving people i know yeah so well thank tell, you That's tell me of, about your i think faith. it's the same with the way of you oh thank you and again i was raised catholic i say that a lot my family's still practicing catholic it's very different from a lot of other kind of christian-based religions but but anyhow tell me tell me have you always had your faith yeah good question and i'm very grateful that I grew up as a Catholic. A lot of people like to knock Catholicism. Great. What are you doing better for the world? You know, I, did you grow up as a Catholic? I did. Yeah. I know that. So I grew up as a Catholic. My mom in was Redondo? Re- in Redondo. Yeah. There was a, a, a church that was like one of the main Catholic churches in our area. Or how much, what, like what percentage of kids that you went to school with were Catholic? Was there like you know, a high? I, I would say this is, I grew up thankfully in the eighties and the nineties and there was still a lot of people that were going to church. I mean, our, our Sunday, our midnight mass at American Martyrs Church in Manhattan was packed to the gills every single, really? every single, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, SoCal has definitely got more new age religion. Yeah, New England, it, high 90%. Yeah. So therefore, Catholic almost didn't feel like a religion because it was so cultural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Culturally, it was still very prevalent. And I could really only judge the, the, the rate of Catholicism from when I was a kid until right now, I went to midnight mass with my mom this most recent Christmas, and they actually literally canceled midnight mass, and they're only doing it at like ten o'clock because the attendance is so low. Mm. Whereas when I was growing up, not only was it completely full, but it was overflowing. So there has Catholicism from that microcosm has experienced a big shift in the downward trend, which you know what I, I find is unfortunate and. I don't know how to explain it to the mass context, but you know, I grew up a Catholic and I am grateful for that because it really taught me like a, uh, you know, I think there's a good, there's a good thing about fear of God because you know, you fear that that actions have consequences and that I'm not saying heaven or hell. I'm just saying like, you're not in control of everything. And that if you just did everything from your human instinct, Man, this place would be straight, even more chaos than it already is. I do think humans seek structure, yeah. and you can see that in any civilization. Correct. I think, I think my biggest issues with religion are very common and obvious ones, which yeah. is when men seek to control others. Oh. And and, I, and and with with my growing up Catholic, there's no like you know go to church or not but it's really about the community you make so some churches had better community than others yeah. but we're actually where we're going right now there's a church where they lost their uh tax exemption status because they were like burning books and yelling at people like i'm talking like crazy stuff so do you i mean do you get offended by the people that give religion and in in the sort of community that comes around church do you how, how do you how do you sort of um digest the people that give it a very bad name yeah well the reality is just like what you're saying there's a lot of people who give organized churches and religions a bad name rightfully so okay they're doing a very easy job of making uh christianity or people who follow jesus the bad guy because like i just saw something recently where a guy in, in the pulpit it was a it was a tweet now this tweet this kind of tweet is going to get way more headlines than people who are really doing it right. And I could list off a hundred of them off the top of, of my course, head of course. that are doing it so right that people would be blown away and they'd be like, I'll literally follow that person and whoever they serve because if they're doing that in, in such a sacrificial way, I want to be a part of true it. True preachers with true messages. Oh, bro, like you would not believe. Because it's all about, with, like, it's not to interrupt, but with stand-up, 
or playing piano or being a preacher. Yeah. It's about getting the energy up, loving energy. There's only one type. It's either positive or negative, yeah, right? That's true. And it's about getting that energy up and changing people and spreading love. Yeah. And and it's in for some, it's easier to lead with fear. Yeah. To be afraid of things. And um, as you're saying, those people do get the attention uh, because it, they are crazy. Yeah. So I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, to your original question, I think that, okay, bad news is going to get headlines in, in any direction. So uh, a preacher goes on the microphone and says, and this is on Twitter, this is, it went viral recently. He said that if he was on a jury and he saw a, a, a woman got raped and she was wearing some shorts, that if he was on the jury, the guy that raped her was going to go off innocent because a girl should be wearing that. Like, bro, how much? How is that headline? How do I, so, yeah, how does, yeah, don't attach that to my. Yeah, yeah. How is that headline supposed to compete with um, our church, who has actively been sponsoring so many different ministries that serve the homeless, that serve kids in foster care, that have we fund two different sobriety houses? Mm. How is my church that does that? How are we supposed to compete with that headline? Yeah. You're not going to. Yeah. But and you're not going to get the same clicks. You're not going to get the same clicks whatsoever. But it happens. So if you want to paint, if anybody out there watching wants to paint Christianity, Jesus followers in the in the broad stroke of anybody else, that is just as prejudiced as any other thing that you don't want to exist in life. So you need to examine what it is that you're talking about, and how you're thinking about people, and give people space to be themselves, and and to figure out what they're trying to propagate out there. Which, like, I don't think there's any perfect church there's no perfect government there's no perfect school system but there are people doing it right yeah and so why don't you take some time to to do some research on your own to find out like before you join a church or try to like visit you know what is our about section who what ministries do they service and you can find some people that you could really connect with in order to be able to go all right jesus modeled this in my in my context i believe that jesus is the way the truth and the life the whole, his Holy Spirit is the most powerful presence, and I've got so many personal and other anecdotes to prove this, but this is what I believe, and the way that I serve him is indicative of those belief structures. Yeah. You know, it's, you know it, it's very well said. I... We, you know, when with you, I have a ton of faults, and there's a bunch of people who, are, who could watch this and go, yeah, but that guy did this, and that guy did that, and by no means am I perfect or, or other followers perfect, which goes back to we should be giving each other enough grace and mercy to make mistakes and forgive. Grace is important. I, I, I speak nothing but grace. I used to be a it's lot hard. I used to be a lot harder on the contestants I cover on my channel uh -huh. until I started to get a little heat to myself. Yeah. And I realized how hard it is to just be to live up to everyone's perfection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and but I also I also do think like like we said there are aspects of religion that people have sort of made you know like I couldn't say certain words growing up because it like took God's name in vain yeah. and I understand the ideas behind a lot of this but at the same time I think there's I think there's people that will use quotes maybe taken wrongly out of the Bible to again like to go back to the fear based aspect to control others so in hindsight you have people again I didn't I didn't grow up in this so I don't have some big purity culture um, like shock like no one was like really caring if you fucked or not when I grew up yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't get laid because I didn't have good game, not because of my religion. <laughs> Trust me. I was like, oh, he must have been religious. Yeah. No, no, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just couldn't speak. I didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have the hair flowing in the right direction. I had yeah. bangs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I know people that, like my wife, you know, she, you know, couldn't, you know, wear a normal bathing suit without being shamed and putting shirt, a shirt over it. And things yeah. like that, that that can leave a lot of people wounded. So oh, uh, unfortunately, people will go, oh, religion's this and that. And it's like, no, you're right. I mean, government's corrupt. Religion can be corrupt. Like all these things can can exist. I have an uncle who's a priest, and when when um when my wife and I, when Tasha and I were back in, in at home in, in September, I have a, I have um, an uncle who's a priest and an uncle who's a doctor, and we didn't tell our family that we were pregnant yet because it was only six weeks, and Tasha got COVID, which which was like, you know, like, not to yeah. cry, but it's like really scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, sorry. No, <laughs> I told you he's gonna cry. I didn't know it was gonna be about this. Yeah. But we couldn't tell our family because you just don't do that until you're certain. You know, it's just there's just like rules, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
how great to have like a priest and a doctor to talk to. Totally. And because they 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 know how to handle like 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 the like the priest's job is to handle a, you know tough circumstance where you can't necessarily solve everything yeah. with science. Totally. And then we had science there tell with their brother priest. Yeah. And it sounds like a joke making it up, but they, they are two brothers that come from the same mom and yet one's science-based and one's faith-based. Yeah. And yet they were both able to give us like love and, and, and prayer and all these things totally. that we really needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I know how much you care about... Here's another backstory that's uh, that I like about my relationship with Dave is that Dave's doing stand... Okay, you have to, you have to, I think you guys understand this. Doing stand-up comedy in Los Angeles is wildly difficult, right? Then he meets a girl on set of a commercial or a shoot, some, and then they like each other. And then they she'll, date. She'll argue that. <laughs> and then they date in Los Angeles. And then they fall in love. In Los Angeles, he's still doing stand-up, and he's he's building what you guys see right now from scratch. And they make it work, and then they get married, and then they get pregnant. All those things are like the hardest possible things that you could imagine to do. So when he's talking about the fact that they got pregnant, these are like, like literally, like the the end result. This there's no Super Bowl that could compare to what he accomplished. It was a lot. It, it takes. It, they, they accomplished both of them. So for them to like potentially have this risk factor of an illness and have the people back up is like massively it's, it's so massive and imagining imagining okay you can go to a doctor and get advice but if the doctor's advice or, or response is not good where do you go and that's when people knock faith it's like all right you're knocking faith but like we live in a spiritual world whether or not you agree to it we how about, do but this little area is nice isn't it oh we're, we're driving, driving over, over a, a lake a lake right one. now but no, I mean you're you're right, and I and it sounds silly. Like I didn't know I was going to get emotional, but it's a culmination of a lot of. You know, I was talking to Tasha this morning. I made my first mortgage payment this morning. Wow, it's delayed a month. So, and I was like, it was our first payment like towards actually a home versus Amazing. years of struggle. And you know, I, I was like, his, up at his struggle, his struggle. They lived in a one-bedroom studio in Koreatown. 600 square feet. 600 yeah. square feet studio. And this guy's doing For a his long time. podcast out of a 600 square foot studio. You guys, I went to visit this guy. <laughs> Him and Tasha could escape each other if they wanted to. It was the, the uh, same room. Couldn't fart without the other one knowing. And, and the amount of noise, the amount of ambulances, the amount of nothing against people who are homeless, but the amount of like active dangers that could have been a threat to Tasha as a female. She takes their dog for a walk by herself. That's yeah. like that neighborhood was not good. Night fights, mattresses on like, fire being thrown at you. So the fact that Dave and Tasha like did all of this and now they're in a house in the outskirts of Nashville where it's like they, they can breathe and they like this is massive. So hey, also thank you guys for supporting this dude. Mate, like raw some real stuff. Thanks man. Yeah, no, it was, I, I think, I think you get good. And again, everyone's, everyone, everyone out there has got a bigger struggle, but I think you get good at like, like as comedians, we're like, we're like geared down, right? You know, we're, we're, we're ready to live off out of the car. We're, we're good to go. But with Tasha being, you know, my partner, she never doubted me, but she also, she has her own level of realism. So until I did that first live stream, which had 17 people in the chat, wow. and she was like, wow, someone's actually calling in. Until I could show that people were showing up to shows, I don't know if she understood that was my sort of like light bulb turned on. Yeah. And you know, you, you have those those years where you wake up at 4 a.m. to go drive Uber and somehow didn't you know flip my car, you know, falling asleep at night, driving, you know, working that job. Jeez. Like, you, you, you know how it is. So yeah. we talk about that. So when, when the COVID, when she got COVID and you know, you're not, you're not supposed to get a high fever when you're pregnant, especially yeah. early on. And so it was my brother's, it was the morning of his wedding and Tasha couldn't go. And we couldn't tell anyone that she had COVID. She just got, she just got it really bad. I mean, she had it really bad. She couldn't get warm and we were really desperate. And she's, and by the time we talked to the, the, the uncle who's a priest and the uncle who's a doctor, she was, you know, on the men. It was the next day. It was a really tough day. And yeah. my brother found me. And I think he was like the only one I could tell. Wow. And it was on his wedding day. Wow. I'd be like, I'd be like sorry, man. Like, we're going through some stuff. And, and it was, 
it was beautiful to have him there because he actually also had his wife was pregnant when early on when they couldn't tell anyone so I could talk to him about it yeah and everything you know has been green lights since then but it's just you don't realize sometimes the shit you're holding on to until you can release it and it can come out ugly but yeah. that's like if you don't release it it's coming out in other ways through bitterness through anger through all these things totally. so I've already been told this that when you have a baby and, and all that you just become mush and I like get it I totally get it now you just can't help it it's like love's bigger than you yeah, it is <laughs> and, and there's also things that are out of your control and I think that a lot of things are out of our control and I think the faith component people look at that as a they could look at that as a weakness because you're you know looking at something that you can't touch see or, or feel but like a lot of what we do we can't touch see or feel this this might sound like a, a very rudimentary uh comparison but we're on a two-lane highway right now you and i have more faith in those two yellow lines than a lot of people have in in anything because it's like we're just assuming and have faith that the person on the other side of the highway is going to do their job and we're going to do our job everyone has faith to some degree but have to, you, has it question? Have you questioned it ever? Oh, are you kidding me? All, all kind of stuff. I I, I had a, a I took a big hit with my faith that a friend of mine in my early twenties that he got cancer, and I fasted. One time I fasted for three three days with no food or water, which was a lot for me at the time. I mean, people do that all over the world, like like clockwork. But for me, it was a lot, you know. And I and I'm, you know, going to church. I went to church for my birthday. I'm like, this guy cannot die of cancer like this. He passed away. Yeah. Right? How old was he? Uh, 23. Jeez. So early. Like Darren Marcy. That, that was a big hit. I, my faith took a big hit of that. There, you know, a lot of other things were like, like I prayed for things to go well for me for, for work. I, I do sales and I or and, and in entertainment. I've been so close to so many big breaks for so long that like it eroded my, my willingness to say, Lord, I need your help right now because I don't know if the help is coming or not. Let's just be honest. But I've realized that, you know, my part is I can do what I can control, which is certain activities and certain parts of process. And then the Lord's going to do his. And in, the, in that balance is the, is the rest that it's all going to work out the way it's supposed to. You know, I'm, that, that might sound like I'm kicking the can down the road or be giving a cop out. But that's just it's truly a restful way to, to receive peace, which Jesus called himself the Prince of Peace. You know, uh he is the it's, it's deep it's deep it's like you can't just pray for a home run and no you and can't go to batting practice and not correct I, I that that's, a, that, that's a great analogy that's a, that's as meatheady of an analogy <laughs> as i could ever picture but it's you true. know how it is when you haven't been doing many open mics and you're like i pray this bit comes out of my yeah ass. i pray, I, pray I, I, don't I don't remember how it goes yeah and sometimes it does but sometimes it doesn't yeah like <laughs> i know for a fact that i can control if i'm taking my butt to an open mic or if i've rehearsed my bit if it sucks on stage, I can easily look to the fact that did you rehearse it or not? I so I out of an awareness to my audience, I not necessarily to my audience, but out of an awareness to people that get like turned away by by religion, I almost just try to translate everything into energy. Yeah. Because I used to listen to a lot of Wayne Dyer and he would talk about God or Krishna or Buddha or Allah or all of the or or divine spirit or universe. It's like I don't care what somebody wants to call it. Yeah. In in the end, it's about getting your love frequency in your orb and everything as big as possible. Yeah. And when you relate it to like how can I make how can I make my affirmations, my mantras, my ooh, prayers ooh, yeah, yeah, as strong yeah. as possible? Well, I'll tell you about me. It's not when I eat a bowl of sugar. It's just not. I, I've had to go so hard in my physical health because I know my brain and my my ability to, to really try to channel good things is dependent on keeping it as healthy in the machine way as possible. Yeah. Oh, no, correct. And you have, okay, you're touching on something that's very important. People try to uh, kick the can down the road of, of faith and say, okay, uh, you know, accept Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. Okay. And then they're forgetting the fact that like in that, in the process of us living our life, Jesus asked us to, in the Bible, to care for the vessel, the, our temple, which is the vessel of the Holy Spirit. Right. That what, what, what I know, this might, this might sound aggressive, but like the devil is out to to take us out of our 
life. Yeah, in devil, one way or another. Evil, evil, ego, e- all that all, stuff. It's all the stuff that tries to suck you from living your highest L- level. Highest, so, highest, best, most good, most loving self. Which helps others be their highest. Correct. It's all... So if we're all operating on these things and we're operating in harmony with one another, we're have, we really are achieving a version of heaven on earth and peace on earth. Okay, so if you're eating pr- improperly... If you're gossiping, if you're doing all these things that collectively any universe religion under the sun agrees as bad, then you're not your best. I'm not my best, and we we are not our healthiest. It's a, it's, a, it's a literal quantifiable energy level. Correct. So a friend of mine who is not a believer, I I reached out to him, a believer in Jesus anyway, um, but he's a big believer in, in in affirmations and visualization manifestation, and I'm like, you know what? I'm 42. Life is not going as great as I want it to be. I need to make changes this year. I can't. So I go, hey, bro, what are you doing with, with these with these uh, uh, manifestations? What are you doing with these affirmations, visualization? What are you doing with that stuff? And how can I incorporate it? So you know what he sends me? My friend Devin Long, who, by the way, co-star on CBS's Ghosts. There you go. Guy, guy that I started out in, in entertainment with, and we didn't have a pot to piss in. We didn't know nobody. We were just doing anything we could. And now this dude's like married. He's got a kid on the way. Him and his wife are doing amazing. They moved into a house. Like I'm like, I want some of those results. So he sends me the power of awareness by this author named Neville who reads it. And you know what? I, I Now I'm re- doing my visualizations every day, my manifestations every day. And my brain, and oh, I feel... That? I feel oh, over over awesome. <laughs> I feel no, he didn't run over it. It was already, it was already dead. dead. I just avoided it. <laughs> so uh I feel and I like little things are starting to happen after taking on this habit every day where I'm like, man, uh somebody reached out to me on this project. Uh I got it. There's we have a new chief revenue officer that I'm working with. A big appointment came. I'm like, there's something to this. There's yeah. frequencies, the energy you're talking about. Why would I be, as a Jesus follower, so narrow-minded to think that other people don't have something figured out that I can, yeah. that, that I can hop onto? Yeah, that, hop that's onto crazy. It. And sometimes when you say, when you study a new thing or a new mantra, a new saying, it it it's new, so it's fresh. Like it's almost like a new bit, right? When you do new stand-up bits, they always sometimes do better because there's more life to them because it's yeah. new and if someone's just gonna you know by all means read the rosary if that's what you want but if someone's doing that and kind of going through the mechanisms of it that might be different than learning a new a new saying that you're trying to intend for like there's there's one i found that really resonated me re- resonated with me coming off of being so bitter for so long which yeah. was isn't it great that everything's working out wow because we too often see all of the negatives, especially in the world of entertainment because of how cutthroat it is, that we have to look for those small victories and expand on them because it is all working out. And by the way, I love that we took the side roads home. I love that I get to have this conversation with you going through the countryside here because I've never driven through this area and it's a really nice day. Dave, bro, we're literally through the horses. I want to end this as we approach the house uh, just for... Just, just to show you kind of where we're at now. Um, but I want to tell you this. The day before I moved, this is what I thought I was going to cry about. I, I kind of got hit blindsided by the COVID <laughs> pregnancy thing. Yeah. But I had a, I had one of my best friends passed away from a stroke. Oh. Unexpected. Several, eight years ago. And young, early 30s. And he was my, like, rock. Always, every time we were home for the high school football game on Thanksgiving, oh. just see you there. Um, need to go to the mall, do something stupid. See you there. Need help with my, I had a company and everyone else had quit on me. He shows up, doesn't care if he gets paid or not. He, He was this guy always there. And I was throwing a bunch of stuff out the night before we were moving. And I had this garbage, I had this like garbage bag from my old car. It had like dried up bullshit in it. It had things that I need getting ready to throw it out. What pops out? his obituary card and it was just a beautiful moment that I was like, I lost it. And and like, and you know, like Tasha's freaked out because she's like, "What are you crying?" That's happened to me before. And I was like, "No, this is like he's here. Like, it's just a reminder, and it doesn't matter if it was just the law of randomness or not. Whatever it is." And I just want to just relate that back to you because you've got that same sort of energy of like Todd. Todd shows up when you need him. And, and that's something we shouldn't take for granted when we have friends that are loyal like that. And now with the kid on the way in two months, I go, how the hell 
do I teach my kid to be that way, to, to know that loyalty is more important than, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and it's, and I don't have the answers to that, but well, I when you I, see it, you go, that's what I, I want to raise. I, I think I do. And I think it's because you model it, dude. I think you can't preach something that if you're not, I think you can, if you can't do it, you're not leading by example. Um, and, and I believe that you model that, which is why you attract people that are like that because you, you've shown up and you've offered your support and you've all, all the things that you do, you know, you, you are reaping what you sow. I want to add to what you just said. And my dad passed away like, man, 2009. Wait, was that really? My gosh. 2010. 2009. Yeah. Yeah. 2009. So, um, when he passed, uh, you know, I, I, I blocked out it out for a long time and I just focused on trying to be funny and I was partying a lot and that was caused some havoc in my life. But, you know, and, and as a dude, I kind of block out weaknesses too much and I don't like sit in pain. Anyway, all this stuff being said is I'm in Nashville. My dad, like I said, is half black and, uh, Tennessee state is a historically black college university. And he attended there in the sixties during civil rights. And wow. he, he, he experienced some really traumatic stuff up to including having a shotgun in his mouth by members of the KKK and his teammates getting bit by dogs, by a caravan of KKK that pulled over their, their team's van on the way to play football game in Mississippi. So I'm, I'm every time I come to Nashville, something happens that like makes me reminded of him for whatever reason. So the other night, I've, a friend of mine was texting me about something that popped up about me on Google and I'm trying to scroll down Google to find out what she was talking about. And the very bottom of the Google search was my dad's obituary. Wow. And I was like, Oh man, I'm in Nashville. Like it's just, and it's always happened when I come out here because like I said, my dad went to school. Here, There's so. like a spiritual flow out here. Yeah. And I'm glad to have experienced that because it really helped me connect with them also. And, I, that's a cool story you share, I'm man. I'm glad. I'm glad you felt that. We're home. Amen. And there's what a way, Dave's what pregnant a way wife end. and and uh, the dog right there. Dog and maybe uh, we can get Tasha to make an appearance before parent, we cut. Parents-in-law. Let's see if Tasha wants to come in. Tasha, come say hi. But yeah, man, thanks for listening to my emotional oh, thoughts here. Thank you but for when sharing. I came Thanks here and when I me. came here and, and let's roll the windows down so we can get her on camera. We're still on camera. Oh, we're, yeah. We're, yeah. we're just wrapped this is up. my friend Tasha. She happens to be married to my other we friend got, Dave. You know, I cried because I'm an idiot. But <laughs> I, I just shared like, you know, how just a lot of the, all the energy we felt moving and in the COVID early pregnancy and things like that. But anyhow, we're wrapping it up. We're just wrapping up our interview right here. Um, but anyway, you're, you're one of Tasha's favorites, if not favorite. Oh, wow. High honors. High, high approved. All right, we'll, we'll go inside. Let's wrap it up. Where can people find you to support you? Todd Marcel Dorham. Yep. Uh, that's my website. It's going to be uh, launching here like in a week or so, but all my socials are Todd Marcel Dorham. Thanks for joining me today. Thank really, you, Dave. I, really, I didn't know how bad I needed this, so sorry. Sorry for making I'm it. proud of you. Do you have a house <laughs> that you helped fund with money from your hey, entertainment and I hey like. it's working out for you too my guy so just, just keep on feeling that <laughs> alright everyone all right. have a good day that was thank you for watching look at that how about that cool dude